it's an old story. Told no. Told no at a young age. Told no at college age. Told no as an adult. Told you can't do what you think you want to do. And you don't quit. Folks, that's the definition of grit. And that's what this is all about. Dr. Linda Randall is next. This is a dash of grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. Now, podcasting from Spire to leaders in local communities like yours, here is Brian Leflock. And let's get cooking. I'm excited to share with you the story today because I love dogs. I think the last episode, my cat was on the, uh, the, the chair behind me. You can't see her, but my great Pyrenees is laying on the floor sleeping as they do um, behind me now. Um, but you're about to meet a very special person. She is a veterinarian. She has overcome many things on her way to uh, success as a veterinarian, as a dog trainer. And she is working now with, with kids and adults and people and, and helping to implement change in a way that they perhaps that she sees uh, happening in, in animals along the way. So it's a, it's a story that's close to my heart and I'm excited to dive into it. I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Linda Randall. She's a veterinarian, a dog trainer. She recently opened One Smart Dog Exceptional Dog Training Services, which, uh, which is doing its own amazing things as far as making sure that the animals are doing what we ask them to be and, and doing what they want to to be. She's also been awarded uh, outstanding alumni for the Ohio State University uh, College of Veterinary Medicine and for her undergraduate college at Urham, which means that she is outstanding everywhere she goes. And uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit. She conducts webinars for kids, race, and positive reinforcement, also trauma-informed care and its consequences. And sure, you're thinking, what does a veterinarian have to do with that? And we're going to talk about that now. Dr. Randall, welcome to A Dash of Grit. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> and I'm glad to have you. And I'm, I'm really interested in all the things that you do. It was a pleasure to meet you the other day and to, to hear some of your story. And I'm excited to share it with, with those out there. You've accomplished a lot and you're still accomplishing a lot. And I'd like you to kind of, if you don't mind, brag a little bit. Let us know what success means for you. What's going well for you right now. We're going to dig into the hard stuff next. Ah, okay. Well, I am really excited about the fact that I was actually able to open my own veterinary hospital. Uh, it's something that took a lot of um, a lot of little leaps of faith yeah. <laughs> as I as I went forward, and so I'm really proud of that. And it was very successful. And then I pivoted a bit and uh, opened my full-time dog training facility. I had been dog training while I was also um, doing veterinary medicine at my own hospital. I'm currently still doing veterinary medicine, mm -hmm. but uh, we went from part-time to full-time. Yeah. And it's successful and it's exciting and we are all positive reinforcement and uh, that to me is everything. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think it's so interesting. The people that listen to this show are in much the same situation as you. They want to accomplish something. They want to do something big or something that they're passionate about. They want to accomplish their dreams. Uh, sometimes things get in the way. And so I think sharing those stories is really helpful for others. So you're actually making a difference now because you had a dream in adults and people and kids and moving their futures forward. And I think it's fantastic that you've been able to accomplish that or at least work on that. I'm interested in how you got there. Let's talk about the struggles you had to overcome, the grit that you had to show uh, to have the success that you're having today. Okay. 
When I think about it, and I want to say that this is something that I used to think about a lot more than I'm thinking about it now because I'm more in the present. But I will say that over a great deal of my career, I was dealing a lot more with my past. And that's because when I was in high school, and I was the only black student in an all-white high school, Mm. and uh, we were very rural in Connecticut. I'm from Connecticut. My family's still there. And I wanted to become a veterinarian. And right from the get-go, they did everything they could to discourage me. And they would tell me that I, you know, black people don't become veterinarians. Or they would then turn and say, well, you know, there really aren't any women veterinarians to speak of. And at the Mm. time, it's true. uh, Women were probably uh, 1% to 2% of the veterinary profession. And then they would pull out the big one. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good at math. And um, I started believing them. And I, (laughs) I can remember distinctly that I got a D in physics when I was in high school and I just swore I, I would never understand physics and right. I stayed away from all math, all sciences for the, the rest of that time. And for the four years that I was at Earlham college in Indiana, I'm an English literature major with a minor in American history and uh, did, did not take anything because I said, that they must be telling the truth. Who is they? They would be the uh, administrators and most of the teachers at my high school. The school, and, and and that's a that's another topic for another day. But but I've got some school experience, and and I know that the pictures that teachers and administrators paint, man, they have to be careful. They've got to do not everyone, but the ones that are painting those pictures of failure ha- just have to do a better job because they affect people like you, don't they? That they, 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 oh, yeah. they hearten, harshen your dreams. Oh, ab- absolutely. I overcame it, mm-hmm. but that's part of the past that, that I, I think about. I didn't have, my family didn't have much money and uh, they would say, Oh, it's really expensive and your family can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was very interesting, um, which meant That when I did decide to become a veterinarian, which was many years, well, not many years, I would say at the time, it felt felt like many years, six years later, I thought, well, I'm still going to do that. I had to get a scholarship and I had to take, guess what? Sciences, (laughs) (laughs) math. And I moved to Ohio because I had decided Ohio State was where I wanted to go to veterinary school. And I entered the University of Cincinnati and I had 18 months, I gave myself 18 months to get in with which was essentially a BA in biology. Okay. Wow. And in order to do That's that, I also had <laughs> to apply to Xavier because I couldn't, all the classes would overlap. And so I couldn't take one class and another class at the same university. So I'm interested. Where's the the grit? There is that you were told you couldn't. You started to believe that you couldn't. Yes. What 
switched in you that said, no, I can, and I, I'm going to apply here and I'm going to go there. And I know there's a roadblock there because the courses don't match. And so I'm going to have to do it extra. What switched that said, no, I can. What was that point? Actually, it was leaving the country. Wow. I uh, answered an ad in the New York Times from the Nigerian federal government looking for teachers, and they hired me. And so I was an employee of the Nigerian federal government, and I flew over to Nigeria on a contract to teach. And I was not there three years because of some time over a year when I was there, there was a coup, a military coup. Okay. And so we had to leave the country. But while I was there, I thought, if I can do this, I can become a veterinarian. I, it just, I wanted to do a lot of things. I also wanted to go back to Africa and to uh, do something with the nomadic herders. Their animals had a lot of diseases and were sick. I never did that, but that was the impetus. Hmm. And so you, you you had to leave. What caused you to leave? I'm trying to figure out what 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 did the there was a opportunity there that you needed to accomplish. Yeah, I was I was looking at job ads in the New York Times. Yeah. And I saw one from the Nigerian federal government and I said, oh, I could do that. Okay. So what makes you, <laughs> I love this. So people tell you, you can't be a vet and you believe right. them, but right. you tell yourself that I can go to Nigeria and teach. Yes. And you believe yourself. What, what, what allowed you to trust in yourself to make that goal? I don't even know. Wow. I, I just said to myself, I can do it. Yep. And there was somebody else uh, around me who said, you know, I think I'm going to do that too. Okay. And, uh, and so we weren't together in any sense of the way, be, except that we both said, well, yeah, why not? Yeah. And uh, hired out for areas of Nigeria, so we didn't see each other and we were there, but uh, so there's a little, there was a little support in that sense. And so you overcome great trial there and learn about yourself and learn that you can accomplish anything. You come back to the States. Now you're still African-American. You're still a female. You're still a minority at a 2% rate for veterinarians. There's got to still be people telling you, you can't do it. How did you overcome that? And how did you get to the point where you finally did open up your veterinary practice? Well, actually, at that time, there wasn't anybody telling me I couldn't do it because I didn't know anybody in Ohio. <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> Good. And so just changed I got, the scenery, uh, right? OK, I got several jobs and I worked at those jobs to um, put myself through school. And in 18 months, I did it all and I did calculus and biochem and I had, you know, a four point average and. Wow. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I am smart enough. I Maybe I can do this. And uh, so I took the test. I got into the veterinary school and uh, got some scholarships yeah. and didn't look back from that at that time. Now, when I was in school, again, there were a set of people I wanted to do behavior, which really loops into the dog training. And they took me aside, uh, they again, they, there comes they, <laughs> they yep. took me aside and said they thought that that was the wrong avenue for me, that they did, that I would have to be able to do neurology. And in other words, they're pointing out all the difficult things that I'd have to do. 
And they didn't think that I would be able to do that. Okay. And now what did you do? Second go around, they say no. Now what do you do? (laughs) Right. And I said, oh, you're right. Neurology is really hard and vet school is really hard in and of itself. So I guess I won't do behavior. And I went ahead, did other things. Hmm. And uh, when I graduated, and it's a long story about how I finally got a job, that was very, very hard, which is how I ended up in Medina. Okay. But in any case, uh, I started dog training my own dogs. And then I started helping other people with their dogs. And the next thing you know, I'm a dog trainer, which doesn't make me a behaviorist. Hmm. I started studying the behavior of animals and the behavior of dogs specifically and got more and more involved in that until now I... I'm not certified yet. I'm in the middle of getting some certifications uh, to behaviors, but I do a lot with it. So I just said, well, here I am. I can do it. I think it's interesting. One of the one of the things people have taught me to do is, for instance, running. I like to run. Now I'm, you know, if you look at me, I'm not going to win any races. I'm not going to win anything, but I like to run. And so someone said, Brian, if you're going to run, be a runner. I'm like, but yeah, I'm a little overweight and I'm not very strong. Be a runner, which means go out and run. And so you kind of said, now be a dog trainer. And so you taught yourself, you learned, you figured it out and you use some of the things that you learned from your veterinary skills. And all of a sudden, whether there's the credentials or not, you became a dog trainer. I think that's, I think that shows a little bit of grit right in itself. Yeah. Yeah. So then as, as you move forward, so that was while you were a veterinarian, correct? You, you, you learned those, those things. What what did you have to overcome as a veterinarian, as an entrepreneur, as a uh, a small business uh, owner, as a doctor in a veterinary practice that maybe uh, that the that had to be overcome to be successful in that even before you became the dog trainer? You're asking what I had to do to become successful as a veterinarian without being a dog trainer. Well, Is that right? yeah, before the dog training, here's what I'm wondering. Because I, I still go back to the fact that people say, no, you can't. And they said, no, you right. can't based on this and this and this. And so I'm going to play the the uh, whatever card it is. But I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to choose this veterinarian over here because he looks like a veterinarian. She doesn't. And, and I'm wondering if there were, were struggles you had to overcome to actually get your practice started in a healthy way. I see what you mean. Yes, uh, most definitely. And the first one, of course, was financial. I had to get a small business loan and overcome some overt prejudices there. But I had a lot of help with that, I will say I had. And all along the way, I don't want to make this sound as if I did all of this. I mean, I decided I was going to do this and I did it. I had a lot of support. Uh, There were people who were in my you know, on my side. And uh, I couldn't have done it without them. So I don't mean to leave that part out at all. <laughs> it, it's almost understood, Dr. Randall. It's almost a, a part of grit. I, I When I see grit, I think of being stuck on the road in my car, getting out, throwing rocks underneath to try to get a little bit of traction. You can never do that on your own. There's no way you can get unstuck just trying it on your own. You've got to have help. I think that's number one requirement for any opportunity when you're stuck. Get help. Yes. And the fact that people did believe in me 
and did help me out far beyond what I felt I deserved, quite honestly, mm-hmm. at, at the time. I mean, I'm so grateful. Um, that's what got me through the opening a veterinary hospital. I worked for another veterinarian in a dairy practice for about nine years. And then I opened my own veterinary hospital. And I was told again hmm. that it was going to be very difficult. And it was. Yeah. It, it really was. I was the era of, well, this era is not over, I'd like to point out, of the KKK. And I had a lot of pushback along those lines. It, it was an extremely difficult first, I would say, 10 years. Yeah. And you just kept on going through and you were able to build a a practice. And I'm interested if we can pivot a little bit because you opened the dog training and you became positive, you know, based in positive reinforcement. And that means be kind to others. And and I'm sure it means far more than that, but it's not smacking them around, (laughs) I guess, is is the, is the, and and so I'm interested in how that transfers to kids, because one of the things, and, and even young people and adults, one of the things that we talked about is that you are working towards helping young people in positive reinforcement, yes. trauma-informed care. A lot of kids, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of better words, are broken. It's not their fault, you know, th- that they're in trouble. They Something has happened to them in the past that causes this uh, response or reaction that they have now. I'm interested in, in what you can share with what you've learned from, from being a dog trainer, an animal trainer, and now working with kids. How do those two go together? Well, the interesting thing is that what I think people forget is behavior is behavior. Behavior scientifically crosses all species. Uh, amoeba behave. Hmm. And it's, it is lawful. There's, there's a science behind it. And so when we're using positive reinforcement, it's the same thing that we would use with our spouses, our kids, and our dogs, our orca whales. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. The the same principles apply. And in positive reinforcement, the thing that I want to bring out here is that one of the things that makes it positive reinforcement isn't just that we bring out clickers and feed dogs. It's that. What positive reinforcement does is it tells you what is wanted, what what you could or should be doing, and you get reinforced for that, as opposed to not positive reinforcement, we'll just call it for the moment, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) aversive methods or something where you say, stop doing that, don't do that. That doesn't give you anything that you should be doing. It leaves a big void. So you stop doing that, but then what? So it's, and it's much quicker to flip that framework around rather than punish, 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 and then say, now, I hope you understand that you're not going to get anywhere with that. But if you do this, you know, Mm -hmm. then you'll get somewhere. You've already beaten somebody down. You're just, it's not, um, it's also not humane to do that, to punish somebody and not give them an alternative. Mm. Sure, first give them the positive, what they should be doing. And then most of the time, A, you don't need the punishment. Yeah. And um, B, you sh- that should be the ex- very, very, very last thing that you do. Interesting that this goes back to your past. You were told yes. by they 
you can't do it. Right. Sit where you are. Don't try to do right. anything right. Just you, right. you, this is your lot in life, Linda. Just deal with it. Right. You were told Correct. no. And you're, what you're saying here is people need to be told yes, an opportunity to, yes. to grow into what's available to them. What struggles do you have yes. trying to change people's mind? I remember you mentioned Dr. Stoller and you and I were talking and he was a guest on a dash of grit recently talking about positive reinforcement for young people that are incarcerated and trying to help them become better human beings so that they can make a difference in society moving forward rather than just leaving them in a cell. And, and, uh, and, but he talked about how hard it was to get everyone else to climb on board, how hard it still is, you know, no, they're yes. here, they're in trouble. They're here to, to learn. We're going to learn you know, what struggles do you overcome in trying to accomplish this? Plus you're talking about animals too. So do you, do you struggle with people understanding? Yes. People want to go to the aversive methods. They want the choke collar. They want the pinch collar. They want the electronic collar because they feel they see immediate results. That dog gets jerked or gets shocked mm -hmm. that immediately they stop doing what they're doing. Or conversely, if you've got an aggressive dog, immediately they turn around and bite you, which is what you were trying to stop them from doing. But now they've got no alternative. They're in pain and they're going to react because now they've gone down into the lowest part of our brain where you aren't even in control of your reactions. Mm -hmm. And you want to stay up in the thinking brain where you understand you've got choice and uh, then you can be encouraged to do the choices that are reinforcing. We don't do anything that's not reinforcing. Hmm. I mean, that's hmm. just one how way we or the are other, right? People. Yeah. In one, one way or the other. We're either, right? we're either exactly. reinforcing the bad situation, the current situation, or we're reinforcing a positive opportunity moving forward. Basically. So as you, yeah, basically, because I don't have the science information. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, pretty close, Brian, pretty close. The, uh, <laughs> it was good. It was good. <laughs> what's next for you? Where's the next hurdle? What are you trying to accomplish now? People might be saying, no, you can't, but you're going to anyway. What, where are you going to need to show the, the grit next as you moved into the next stage of, of what you're trying to do? Well, you know, I'm not really sure because that's really a, a, a shifting sandy beach. Uh, I am really excited about growing the One Smart Dog and really emphasizing the fact that we can be a community center, not just a community dog training center, but a, a center that people can come uh, with their kids, with their dogs, with their families, feel welcome and uh, perhaps learn some things because it is very translatable. What, and I'm finding that the kids that I work with, and that is really my passion, working with kids with positive reinforcement mm -hmm. and their pets. And the parents say that they take it, they see their kids changing when they do this. They, when their kids come home, they're using, so to speak, positive reinforcement on their parents to try to yeah. get something that they want. But it works. And when they are in uh, school, and the sports that they are in or just in their classroom, they find that they're trying to, their kids are trying to find solutions to difficult problems or arguments uh, with other students by asking them positive reinforcement type of questions, things that we have them ask their dogs, basically, yeah. and to work with them that way. And it can change the way that they, that they react to society and the way they react to people who are different than they are. 
and the patience that they start having and developing because they have to have patience to work with their dog. And they learn that. Yeah. Dr. Randall, if there are folks out there that, that are interested in dog behavior, kid behavior, overcoming trauma, uh, even your veterinary practice, um, there's a lot to learn from you. I'm wondering uh, if they wanted to reach out to you, how might they do that? Well, they can um, contact me on Facebook. Okay, <laughs> my, my Facebook is Linda Randall and also One Smart Dog. And uh, that's a good way. They can also contact me. I don't know. Do Are we giving numbers? We can. Whatever you're comfortable okay. with. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, they can contact me at on my cell phone, mm-hmm. 330-958-9224, uh, via email at onesmartdog.lr, Linda Randall. I thought that was really clever. I like that. At Gmail. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> but just kidding. At gmail.com. That's one, the number one, smartdog.lr at gmail.com. Fantastic. And I hope people will. And I hope that uh, you continue to make the change in others. The Dash of Grit podcast is brought to you by Spire. Spire creates results-driven digital marketing and websites that help companies grow. Are you ready to break through the barriers that hold your company back? Take your growth higher with Spire. Learn more at spiread.com. I'm Brian Leffelock, Director of Sales at Spire Marketing. This is Dr. Linda Randall, and I appreciate your vulnerability to share the, the struggles you overcame along the way. And even more so, I'm proud of the fact that you haven't arrived yet. You are, you, you've said yes every time someone said no, and now you're making a difference in young people and moving them forward in their lives. And that's part of the, your journey. So keep it on, keep it on. You're doing amazing things. I really appreciate the support and the accolades. <laughs> it makes me feel good. And uh, I love what I do. Thank you so much. Good for you. Thank you for sharing, folks. This is Dash of Grit. We do this every week and we'll do it again next week. And if you want more stories of inspiration and overcoming through grit, just scroll down the page and you'll find, uh, I don't know, 70 or 80 more. So a lot of folks doing a lot of great things through grit. Until we meet again, stay gritty and win the day. This is a Dash of Grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. 